The Bible passage for us as we do a summary of Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. So let's read this together. God's Word. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All of us, whether we are conscious, unconscious, intentional, unintentional, are longing and trying to be part of something. And you just need to witness what's happening in the world, that a nation like the UK is torn in two because about two years ago, 52% voted to not be part of the EU and 48% voted to remain. And today the crisis divides the whole nation, divides whole families. So which one should be part of? The EU or just ourselves? Observe what's happening in Hong Kong. Should we be part of China or should we remain different to China beyond the 50 years? What are we a part of is very important for us to decide. And when it comes down to the straight and the narrow in our own hearts and own lives, um, this week is PSLE week. And I want to pray for all our children who are sitting for PSLE. Actually, we should pray more for the parents. Oh, it's next week. Next week, right? Okay, some parents have just corrected me. It's next week, but better to pray earlier than later. <laughs> and then, you know, as a pastor, you listen to different things, hear different things, etc. And one of the sad ones that I heard, not of PS, it just came by the way, of a um, family just sharing that, yeah, they know of these parents and this child, you know, every time she comes back with grades that doesn't meet the mark, the parents don't scold her, they just give her the silent treatment. That's as bad as scolding a child. That for a whole week, I don't speak to this child. The child knows that I've underperformed. I've underperformed because I want so much for you to be part of a better school, a bigger school. Nothing wrong with that. But the way to, to that... So what are we a part of? The scriptures tell us that the greatest thing we need to be a part of is part of God and His kingdom. And the alternative to being part of God and His kingdom is to be part of Satan and the world and our own man-made kingdom in our own deluded minds. So the book of Ephesians paints for us from chapter 1 onwards the kingdom that God has invited us to. So this is the kingdom that God has invited us to. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him. When? Before the foundation of the world. For what? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. So here is the grand invitation of the true, the living God. He has invited us to come out from the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of self, into the kingdom that He has come to establish through His Son, through Christ and Christ alone. So Jesus begins His ministry with, Behold, the kingdom of God is near. It's crashing in, it's breaking in. Listen to Him as King and be invited to His kingdom. And so He goes on in Ephesians. Here's the key verse as a plan for the fullness of time, we sit around and one of the big questions we ask, looking, looking at all the suffering in the world, through all the years, why hasn't God acted? And God says to you, I have a calendar. Um, I don't know whether it's a Huawei calendar or I calendar, but God has a divine calendar. On that divine calendar, it's marked, in the fullness of time, 
God will do something about Satan, something about your rebellion, something about our sin, something about our death, and something about His wrath against us. That something is actually a someone. For 2,000 years ago, God sent His Son to become flesh. And His Son came and He went to the cross humbly to defeat the works of the evil one. So this verse actually says that if you ask, what did Jesus come for? Not to give you a moral life, not to make you spiritual, not to make you religious. He came under God for this grand, universal, cosmic purpose to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in our study of Ephesians, things in heaven refers to Satan and all his allies in rebellion against God, heavenly beings in rebellion against God, unseen to our human eyes. Then because Satan and his allies exist, they tempt, they seduce men and women, human beings, all things on earth to be in rebellion against God. So one way to understand God's presentation to us of life is that all of us are at war with God, led by Satan. But now through Christ, He has done this for us. Vanquished Satan invited us to believe in the true and the living God. This is what God has done for us. When Christ is enthroned and in place, He is now enthroned, unseen to our human eyes. He's finished His work. He's seated at God's right hand and God has given Him all authority. When Christ is in place, all things are in place. You may not know it and I may not know it. I may not perceive it from day to day, but we belong to the winning side. Satan has been vanquished. The works of Satan has been undone by Jesus and His work and His death on the cross. Ephesians 2 presents it this way. And you were, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, a reference to Satan, the spirit who is now at work where God calls us in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out what? So life without God, we are carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and because of this, we were by nature the object of God's wrath, like the rest of mankind. So how many of you feel the wrath of God against you? You know, I sit here, it feels quite comfortable. I'm away from the haze. I think I'm quite a nice moral person. But when God audits your heart and my heart, He sees a person following the course of the world. He sees someone living under Satan. He sees someone living in disobedience against Him and His rightful wrath is poured out on us. That is the real picture through God's eyes and through God's hearts. God's heart. And Ephesians 2 verse 17 presents it this way. And so Jesus came and what did He do? He came as God's peacemaker. And so He came and He proclaimed peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through Christ and Christ alone, the peacemaker, we both have access. So whether you're Jews or Gentiles, you are far away or near, God has brought you through one way in any other setting, you could say there are many, many roads lead to Rome. With God, you can never say that. Because only one road leads to Rome is the road of the cross. He is the way, the truth, and the life. For through Christ and Christ alone, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. See how God this is, how Trinitarian this is. It's through the Son, through the Spirit, to the Father. This is how God has blessed us. 
Jesus has come as peacemaker to end our endless warring. With who? Firstly, with God. And because you and me from morning to night, you dare to pick a fight with God, then picking a fight with your husband, with your wife, with your neighbour, with your children, with your parents, with somebody in church is a nothing. Because in our hearts, we dare to wage war against God. You know, they said the two most important, the, the most important words that our founding Prime Minister Lee Kuan Yew asked was, wherever he visited, whatever discussion or discourse he was having with anybody, the two most famous words would be, so what? So what does it mean for Singapore? So if he went to visit China and saw things being, making progress there, he would look back at the implications and ask, so what? You'll find this in the autobiography. He'll go to India, he'll go anywhere around the world, he'll go to Silicon Valley and say, so what does this mean for us? He'll watch the proceedings in our neighbouring countries and ask, so what? We who believe in God, this is what God has done for us. And you now must ask that question, is because of that, because He lived and breathed and died, so what? We are the beneficiaries of the peace and prosperity because one man kept asking for the good of his nation. You now have to ask, God has worked for your ultimate blessing. You need to get alongside God's mind and say, so what does that mean for me? That I have received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, that God by His mercy, by His grace, by His love, has transported me from darkness into light, from Satan into the, into the rule of Jesus what are the practical implications of this from day to day in all, in my heart, in all my relationships? This is what he says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. How do Gentiles live? How did you and I used to live before in God's eyes? Still live if we do not know Him? In the futility of our minds, they are darkened in their understanding. And notice in God's eyes, you may, have, you may have a job in Silicon Valley, you may have a PhD, you may have got first-class honours. In God's eyes, none of those things qualify you as wise. You are a fool, and I'm a fool in God's eyes. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. Due to what? The hardness of heart. They have become callous. Callous, right, is basically reckless. Reckless in your thinking, reckless in your decisions, reckless in your action, and given themselves over to sensuality. You know what sensuality is? Just living by your senses, living by your appetites. Right now, your mind needs to be filled with something. Right now, you have an appetite for something, you just fill it up, and then greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So here is God's analysis of us and conclusion of us. What is it? And this is not the way you learn Christ. Notice, Jesus Christ is something to be learned because we learn the long, wrong things and follow the wrong authorities in our life. Assuming you have heard about Him and were taught in Him the truth that is in Christ. Look at that, right? He switched from, he could have said the truth that is in Christ, but he says the truth that is in Jesus. And Paul is not being lazy here Christ is the title, the anointed King of God, the end-time King of God. Jesus, He was born in a manger. He was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. He was the son of a carpenter. When you look at this child from a backwater village, you look at him and say, Saviour of the world? Are you kidding? Saviour of the world? Sometimes you look at the classmates from, from young, right? 
then you see them, wow, being, being nominated for Singaporean of the Year cannot be, right? He was always dumber than me in school. How can that be? Just extrapolate that by a billion times. Small town boy, Jesus, his name, now the Christ, God's appointed end time and eternal ruler. Notice the description about him, the truth that is in Jesus. Meaning, God is truth. Jesus is the embodiment and the personification of that truth. God downloaded his truth in human form and that form and that person is the Lord Jesus. To put off your old self, you mean there's an old self which belongs to your former way of life and corrupt through deceitful desires? Every time you meet the word deceitful, it has to do with Satan because he's a liar, he's deceitful. And to be renewed where? In the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created the likeness of God. So between old self and new self, old self and new self, what are the characteristics of the new self? Take a look at it. True, righteousness, truth. Righteousness, holiness. When we are transferred from Satan to God, we go from lies, from unrighteousness and unholiness to truth, to righteousness and holiness. So it's a choice, really, of two kings and two kingdoms. We know that, but here is what it means for us in our daily lives. In Ephesians 4.17, the lifestyle that is being played out there is basically the idolatry of self. And the idolatry of self begins with the hardness of heart. And then it leads to a darkened mind. And then it leads to careless living. Careless living is reckless living. Whatever you want to do, you just do. You think that's freedom, but that's actually slavery. And then you're addicted to this. You, the question, the wrong question to ask is, the wrong question is, Pastor Chris, can I start on this? No. The, the, the question to ask, can you stop if you start on this? Can you stop if you start on any sinful habit in life? Answer, no. You and me will be enslaved to it. So that whole lifestyle on the left-hand side is deadened to God, part of Satan's lie, say no. So it was one of the first illustrations I heard and would remain for me for forever of my pastor telling me when I was a young Christian in, in Sydney, Australia, of a girl who had left her youth fellowship because not very fashionable to be part of a youth fellowship and especially as she went to high school and then to university. And as she went to high school and university, she decided this whole youth fellowship thing is not true. This whole Jesus thing is really old-fashioned. It's cramping my style. And so she broke free. She really broke free. She broke free and just whoever wanted to, whoever she wanted to sleep with, she slept with. A one-night stand every night and she did that for many years. By the time she hit her 30s, she came to the realisation that every relationship we had, every boy she had, was not interested in her as a person. One was just interested in her body. And that's when she fell into depression and then came back to church. And as she heard the sermon being preached, just said to the pastor, where have I been the last 10 years? What do you think was the answer of the pastor? You walk out on Christ to go to Satan's zone. By God's mercy, you walk back to Christ. You may think you are free when you do that, but you are enslaved. And not full, far from full, you and me are deformed. So the worship of God through the worship of Jesus, new mind, new self, recreated by Christ 
in truth, in righteousness and holiness. And it comes by surrendering to God and saying, I can't save myself. I accept that my salvation has to come from outside of me. I can't educate myself into heaven. I can't wish myself into heaven. I can't do charitable works into heaven. I can't spiritualize myself into heaven. I need you to save me. And that has come in the person of Jesus. Alive to God and part of Jesus' truth. This is what we say yes to. And most of us seated here who call ourselves Christians say, I roughly know this. And the question you need to ask and I need to ask, whether you're first time here with us or long term, is which one are you in right now as you sit and honestly reflect and audit your life under God? Because there is a God. He is true. He is living. And He's asking you and me to do this. And so we say, if you believe in God, there is a tension. The tension is there's a not-yetness of our faith. And there is a presentness or nowness of our faith. Now we have received every spiritual blessing. But there's a not-yetness. Let me cover the not-yetness. The not-yetness is that you and me are stuck here. And I wish, I do not know what you wish and long for morning by morning. I wish and long for to live in the presence of God, that I could see God the Father, the Lord Jesus, the full presence of God. They'll be given new bodies, perfect bodies, and perfect holiness. So what do you do to your body this morning? I do not know, but from morning to night, did you notice you have to brush your teeth? You have to comb your hair? You've got to clean this, thing whole, this whole thing up. And when you fall sick, and you fall sick very often now, especially with the haze, even more, you have to go to the pharmacy so, so often. Sometimes when you go to the pharmacy, buy medicines, put your, your life back on track, how long is this deodorizing of my body and medicating of my body going to go on for? That's not the life and the body God gave you to live. And so we wait for our perfect glorified bodies and perfect holiness. But right now, Christ is already enthroned. The Spirit of God has already been given. And we are told to live a life worthy of our Jesus, worthy of our Saviour and our salvation. We are called to be imitators of God by imitating Christ in His love. And if we do that, then there are things we have to crucify, put off lies, speak truth, not lies. Put off bad talk. Only speak what is encouraging and building up for the others. Put off bitterness, put off sexual sin, put off dark deeds, and put off foolish living. So that is the choice that we have to make all the time. The danger for us is this. For those of us who presume that we are Christian folk, as we look at this and listen to the Bible carefully, where are we right now? Which world are you part of? Positionally, you know that God has given you a new passport. And that new passport is positionally, if you believe in Christ, today, if you walk out of here and because it's so hazy, you didn't see a grab coming, a taxi coming, it knocked you down, today you're going to heaven. But let's say, it's still a few years more. How are you living with progressive holiness, dead or alive? So I've told you about my cat, told you about my dog. So one day, my cat, in his juvenile years, still in his juvenile years, under two years old, came back. It, it, because as it grows up, it catches different things. So number one thing it catches is lizards. So bring the lizard back to us, right? 
and the lizard is half alive. I've told you those stories. This time, it came back with a rat. Right? Not a huge one, but a medium-sized ba um, baby teenage rat. Right? Not too huge. And brought it to me because I'm the master. And it brings to me to show that, hey, I deserve a place in your home. <laughs> and so, whether it's the lizard or a cockroach or a rat, it's usually half dead. So the rat was half dead, right? And whenever it noticed that the cat, right? So here's the scene in front of me, cat and the half-dead rat. When, it, when the, the rat noticed that the cat wasn't looking, boom, it will try and bolt. The moment it tries to bolt, the cat goes, bang, one more time. Then it pretends to die. <laughs> and this went on for a while, for, and I just noticed that. I said, isn't that a marvellous illustration? When the cat is missing, the mouse comes out to play. Ultimately, my cat killed it. Right, ultimately. When, so which is the cat watching your life? If the cat watching your life is church, Sunday, for one and a half hours, you are, you've got no anger. You've got no lust. You've got no bitterness. You've got no envy. Then that's the wrong cat. Because that's nominal Christianity. You are faking religiosity to look good before men. But if the real master of your life is the real cat, is the Lord Jesus, then moment by moment, whatever thought runs through your brain, whatever words come out of your tongue, whatever deed you want to do, you live in the light, in fear of Him, in reverence for Him. Too many of us are living this two-timing life. When God is not looking, when is, not, when is God not looking at you? In love, you think God is so tired at looking at you, I think I need to take a break. I need to rest. Oh, he's got amnesia. God is always watching the whole cosmos. His eyes never shut. His heart is for you. To save you from Satan's clutches. To save you from your self-delusion of sin. And so, many of us are walking around half dead to sin, and so we are half alive to Christ. Because we still want a little bit of self-pleasure a little bit of self-rule, a little bit of self-determination, a little bit of self-actualization, a little bit of self-glory, and a little bit of Christ, we don't experience newness of life. You experience fakeness of life. And that's not the offer of Jesus to you and me. And you need to ask yourself, as you listen to this, as we end our time listening to the gospel in action, in the epistles, how do we do this? that I don't live with fakeness, that I live my godliness in the presence of others, and it's only for a moment, how does this transformation come about? That my life is more and more worthy of my Saviour, worthy of my salvation, more and more an imitation of God by imitating Christ. This is how. Because five times he highlights the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. In 117, he's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In 3.16, you are strengthened by the Spirit where there's an inner being within us. 
In 4.3, we are to keep the new unity between Jews and Gentiles, and you cannot keep it by your own volition. You cannot keep it by your own ambition. It's the Holy Spirit working in you to say, I love Malays, I love Indians, I love Caucasians, I love Africans, I love people across the races and across the classes. Left to yourself, you and me will always be discriminating in our hearts. And 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God because you love the things of God and you hate the things of Satan and sin. And in 6.18, you pray in the Spirit on all occasions at all times. So a Jesus person is a Holy Spirit person. You want to say that back to me? Re just read that back to me. That a Jesus person is a Holy Spirit person. So we always crack this joke. The church beside us is an AOG church. And sometimes people experience this. And over the last year, because the building has been knocked down for, for renovation, it's going to come up by next December for their anniversary. And some people said their friends were recommending them to go to Trinity uh, Christian Centre, but they missed it. They arrived here. And then they sat down and said, hey, sermon not bad. Lah. Okay, lah, we'll stay. Lah. Uh, people are not too bad. They're quite loving, so we stayed. Lah. And I said, you know, I was trying to choose between that one Holy Spirit Church, right? This one is a word church, right? There's no such thing. We are Jesus people. We are Holy Spirit people. Can you be confident of that? That the Holy Spirit doesn't belong to some churches and He's absent in your heart as a Presbyterian? There are good things about being Presbyterian. We are also Christians. It's very important to realise that. So how? Basically what Paul is saying, you need God's Spirit for wisdom. If you open up God's Word and you read it, and it's striking you, it's not because you are obedient. It's because the Holy Spirit of God has caused the scales of your eyes to fall off. It's called the hardness of your heart to soften. It's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In 3.16, if you feel powerless, and then all of a sudden you, 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 you pray, and the Spirit of God, you need the Spirit of God for power. You need the Spirit of God for unity. You need the Spirit of God for holiness. I call it purity. You need the Spirit of God for prayer, all-round prayer. So can I implore you as we end our series and efficiency that we do not leave this, that we do not leave this behind. Too many of us have too little appreciation of the person and the power of the Spirit in us. And I think we need to confess and repent that. Because it's moment by moment. How does this work then? A Jesus person is a spirit person. And you need to ask. Did that thought, that word, and that action come from God's Spirit and God's Word? God's Spirit of truth and love and peace? Recreating me in the image of God by recreating me in the image of Christ is down to thought for thought. It's down to word for word, action for action. You do not sit there and mollycoddle the many thoughts that have obviously not come from God. That anger didn't come from God. That pride didn't come from God. That discrimination didn't come from God. That judgmentalism didn't come from God. The accusation didn't come from God. That condemnation of, some, of your spouse didn't come from God. So, crucify it. Don't dilly-dally with that. Don't walk around. You started with that thought. You started with fear. Fear doesn't come from God. Faith comes from God. Why do we entertain fear from morning to night? Envy doesn't come from God. Contentment comes from God. And so, ask yourself, you're a Jesus person. Or that thought, or word, or action, 
Did it come from Satan's lies? Did it come from him tempting you to be unloving? Did it come from, the, from Satan tempting you to war when Jesus has offered you peace? But it's couched in human wisdom. All corruption in Satan's image. This is the moment-to-moment -moment battle in your life and my life. A spirit person is a person who is very sensitized to the person of God, sensitized to the Lordship of Jesus, and want to think His thoughts, and want to do His will, and be concerned for that. And every time Satan shoots us an arrow, we crucify that. We repent, we confess. And then he will end by our spiritual battles. And in our spiritual battles that you heard of last week, just in quick summary, he tells us, be strong. And then we need to stand four times in three verses. And then we need to pray. And our spiritual battle is part of God's war already won by Christ. In the 1960s, in 1960s again and again it appeared in papers in the Philippines and Thailand, in the jungles of Philippines and Thailand and Southeast Asia, they would find solitary Japanese soldiers still walking around in their tattered uniforms in 1960s, 20 years after the war had ended. Obviously, they didn't hear that the war had ended. And they found them in the jungles of the Philippines and Thailand, still in their uniforms and holding on to the rifles, which perhaps couldn't be fired. They thought they were still part of a war. The war had been won by a long time ago. Long time ago, but the Americans dropping two bombs at Nagasaki in Hiroshima. Please take note, there's a difference. The war has been won by Christ, but the battle against Satan carries on. Satan cannot attack the head of the church because he's victorious and seated in heaven, but he can attack the body of the church, body of Christ, and that's you and me under attack. So, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to take your stand against the schemes of the devil. Christ has won the war. Christians carry on a final battle against Satan. Is that you? Is that me? In our spiritual battle, you need to take note of this. I want to leave you three lessons. We have only one arch enemy. You need the full armour of God. And you need all-round prayer. One arch enemy the full armour of God and all-round prayer. What on earth do you mean? Because if we don't get this right, when you make enemies of people, beginning with Jews and Gentiles in the early church, when you make enemies of people within God's beloved church that God gave you to love, when you make an enemy of your husband, when you make an enemy of your wife, when you make an enemy of your parent, when you make an enemy of your children, you have fallen into the devil's trap. Because God never designed you this way. The devil is always tempting you to make enemies out of others. So is that where you are today as you sit here in the morning, as you listen to this on the podcast? Who have you made an enemy of? We have only one arch enemy. And so very important to get this right. We are not to blame Satan for everything, but you are not to discount Satan from anything. Don't ever discount him. Because from 5.22 to 6.9 are three relationships, husband-wife, 
Karen Chow, master slave. Then comes 610, finally put on the full armor of God. Obviously, it's all about relationships. Jesus coming to redeem us, not redeeming persons, but redeeming persons and redeeming relationships. And so you need to ask yourself, whenever a relationship goes head south, instead of heads north, to greater love and unity, whenever a relationship heads south, you must see the fingerprints of Satan. Do you see that? You and I must never normalize this. So our speaker last week was a principal of Bible college. And so I met up with him for lunch, hosted him, thanked him for preaching with us. And, and, and I said, yeah, thank you for giving that passage to preach on Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. It's been a long time since I preached. Actually, to come to think of it, in, in Australia and many Western countries, we hardly touch on spiritual warfare. What do you think was my response to him? That's why the church in the West is so weak. Everything that goes wrong in the faculty, in, in, in the Bible colleges, is just humanized. Everything that goes wrong in life is just humanized. There is no spiritual dimension. There's no spiritual warfare. And mentioning Satan in a Western concept, thinks that, are you okay? If you believe in Christ, you must believe that Satan exists. That's why Paul wrote, it begins in the heavens, it closes in the heavenly places. And the heavenly places, Satan works through the powers and principalities. He works through the rulers and authorities. He works over time. If you don't know how this works, read the book by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters, of how he works on you from morning to night. So we have only one arch enemy. So what are you and I a master of? Left to yourself without God. And left to yourself under Satan and sin, you become a master of making your enemies your friends. Making enemies out of your friends. Isn't that true? I give this again and again. When people are in dating and courtship, they can't stop speaking the loveliness of each other. Then something happens in, in married life. And what happens in married life? How do pe two people so lovey-dovey, right? So much PDA. Do you know what it means? I didn't know until somebody, the youth told me. Too much PDA. I said, what's that? Public display of affection. Oh, so much, right? So actually, I was in Korea, and I'm visiting some people, and one of the people was there, and in front of us was just a few couples just by the river, and this person from ARPC that we met said, too much PDA, too much PDA. I said, where? There, lah. Right in front. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I didn't quite notice, but she noticed. Right? Too much. How on earth did... What happened? And now, in marriage, if you go and touch the hand, why? You okay? Eh? That's my hand, you know? <laughs> what on earth happened? You couldn't stop holding each other's shoulders. Now I stand beside you at the sink. Hello? Can I hold your hand? Are we married? Yes, we are. I just switched to an English accent. <laughs> the good news of love. Jesus, did you notice, is the master of making enemies his friends? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They have just plotted against him, betrayed him. He's dying, bleeding on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They, they jolly well know what they do. They just don't know the significance. They think they're killing a small village boy. They think they're killing a blasphemer or a heretic. 
That's all they think they are doing. They do not know they are killing the Son of God who has come to save the world from sin. Every time you sideline Jesus in your life, every time you belittle sin, you are doing the same thing. You are saying to yourself, I can cope with my sin without Jesus. You cannot cope with your sin without Jesus. You'll be a sitting duck for Satan to act in your hearts. You need the full armour of God. Full armour. And everybody in the Roman Empire would know what a full armour looks like on a Roman soldier. So when to pick my sister up from the airport, she's here this morning, came to visit us from, from, uh, from Canada, and then we went to the closest hawker centre, the East Coast uh, Park hawker centre. It was late at night, and then something, I witnessed something I never saw. Batch after batch, platoon after platoon of our NS men, walking, one platoon after another, as they walked by, especially the women, I think the mothers, just cheered them on. Right. Maybe it was their sons. Of course, they can't see <laughs> with all the camouflage and all the things. Totally decked out with their full armour. If you watch a Roman soldier, there is, there's grandeur, there's splendor, there is pride that this fellow defends me except if the Roman soldier so happened to conquer you. Anywhere in the Roman world, you, you know what a fully armoured Roman soldier looks like. You need the full armour. You know why you need the full armour? Because the seriousness of the battle is against Satan. He's not a human being. You can't fight him. He's a spiritual being. And so you need total dependence upon God. So I think I preached this at the Saturday service. So let me just give this. Tell, tell me. So last week, right? Uh, back to my cat again. We were sitting, my sister, my brother-in-law were sitting there. And then we noticed there was a lizard up at the ceiling. So my wife or my son or my daughter said to me, hold up the cat, her name is Nico, so she can see the lizard. <laughs> so she spotted the lizard, bang! She wanted to climb, but it's up at the ceiling. So how, cannot do the parallel climb, right? The vertical climb. So I helped it a bit, I got a broom, knocked down the lizard. Lizard fell down. Cat pounced on it, bang! Straight into his mouth. Of course, didn't kill it, right? So it was going to take it and play with it. Then as he walked past the sofa, my sister screamed. Screamed her heart out. Ah! My daughter bolted up the steps. I've never seen. Then I was thinking to myself, which enemy are we facing? <laughs> it's only two inches. It's a baby lizard. <laughs> your armour is totally proportional and commensurate to your enemy. It's a lizard. It's okay. Just use the broom, whack, gone. It's Satan and his allies. What on earth are you going to use? The full armour of God. That's what he's saying. The seriousness of the battle, our total dependence upon God. And so how serious are you about this? I've told this story many times. I met these Christians from Pakistan. They came to our newcomers' lunch. So I asked them, how is life as a Christian for you in Pakistan? I just met some when I went to preach in Malaysia not too long ago. Asked them the same question. And the answer I'll never forget. I'll use it again and again. Here's the difference, Pastor Chris. When you say, you got children, Pastor Chris, got children. When you say goodbye to your children every morning, we send them off to school. When we say goodbye to our children in Pakistan as Pakistani Christians, we don't expect them to come back because they could be abducted, they could be raped, they could be stabbed, they could be bombed. 
Do you ever pray for your children when they grow up, when they go to school? No, Singapore is utterly safe. It's physically utterly safe, but spiritually it's not. Do you pray for your husband when he goes overseas for a trip? You pray for your wife? You pray for each other? The seriousness of the battle, my friends, for minds and hearts, you let down on God. You let down on this. You think too highly of yourself and you think too lowly of Satan. You and me are sitting ducks. You want to write that down somewhere? You think too highly of yourself and think too lowly of Satan. You'll be a sitting duck for him. And over the last 40 years of my life, when I thought too little of Satan, bang! It came. Again and again. And so I encourage you, put on the full armour of God and notice the seriousness, seriousness of the battle. You have to put on Christ's virtues of humility, His meekness, His long-suffering, His forbearance. Why? Because His humility cancels our pride. His meekness cancels our self-righteousness, our self-insistence that destroys so many relationships. His long-suffering cancels our need for instant pleasure and instant solutions. His forbearance and His love cancels our unlove. It's imitating Christ in His love. So the schemes of the devil, if he can't get you with doctrinal confusion, he will get you with personal seduction. He will surely get you with that. If he can't get you with personal seduction, then he will get you with relational division. People you never thought had any problems with, all of a sudden you got huge problems with. Where on earth did that come from? Didn't come from Jesus. Didn't come from God. Physical persecution. And Paul, as he writes this, is sitting in prison and he prays for them that even though he's chained physically, he will not be chained spiritually. He will preach about Jesus mightily. So whatever Satan throws at us, you choose Jesus. Satan throws at you pride, you choose humility. Satan throws at you accusations, you plead the justification of Jesus. Satan throws at you the death, the sickness of a loved one, you plead the resurrection, the sickness and death of a loved one, you plead the resurrection of Jesus. Satan throws at you the hopelessness of life at this moment, you plead your hope in heaven. Whatever Satan throws at you and me, you choose Jesus. Amen? It's vitally important. Next slide. Is there a next one? Yep. So praying at all times in the spirit of all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance for all the saints. Did you notice how Ephesians begins? In love, he predestined us through Jesus Christ, and which he has blessed in the beloved. So why did God move towards you and me to grant us salvation? The motivation of God is love. Did you notice the high point? The heart of Ephesians? Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk as love, walk in love as Christ loved us. Did you notice how it ended? Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. The two are never dichotomized. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be to all who love Jesus our Lord, who love Jesus our Lord with love incorruptible. Two verses, three mentions of love. Begins with love, ends with love, hinges on, on love. In the light of what God has done for us, so what? So, walk and live in love. Vitally important. What are you a part of? You're a part of God's love. You're part of Jesus the Beloved and those who love Jesus. What should you and me not be part of? When we fail to love, we fail we are part of Satan's will. That is the choice that we have again and again. 
I highly commend to you that we read the testimonies of our gospel workers. And I read to you what Chelsea, our missionary to Japan, wrote. And she titled it very attractively, Me Too. Because Me Too is a huge movement around the world. Then, just let me read it for you. Right? I was tempted again and sinned. Jesus helped this wretched sinner, Me Too. Prayerlessness plagues me, Me Too. I was ashamed of Christ when my friends ridiculed my faith, me too. Life is so hectic, I don't have time with God, me too. I feel spiritually dry, no joy, me too. Why is following Jesus so easy for them, but so hard for me, me too? Isn't that honesty from her part? But it's the last paragraph that got me. And why, was the last, why did the last paragraph grip me? Because the, the full armour of God, helmet of salvation, breastplate of uh, righteousness, Belt of truth, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel. Chelsea has feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel. And this is what she wrote in the last paragraph. Paul said in his letters to the Corinth and the Roman churches, My life is not my own, but I was bought with a price. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. In other words, in other words, if Paul would have treated this, he would have treated, make my life count for Jesus. And Chelsea says, me too. That's why she's getting on that plane at the end of this month. She leaves behind her parents, she leaves behind a church that loves her, and she goes to a church of seven people and to the hardened ground of Japan. I want my life to count for Jesus. Me too. And unless she is really empowered by the Christ of love and the spirit of love, Chelsea would not last a moment in that harvest field. You agree? So every single one who's come up for prayer and all of us who sit there, you have to ask, do you want to be part of God's kingdom of love or Satan's kingdom of lies and unlove? Let's stand, pray together before we sing our closing song. In so many ways, we are dying and longing to be part of something good, part of good schools, part of good companies, part of good countries. And so oftentimes, that desire and the longing to be part of something good leads us to great disappointment and pain that pierces our hearts and pierces our relationship. Thank you that you have, Heavenly Father, invited us to be part of the best thing, your kingdom, and you have given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You chose us. We will spend eternity understanding the mystery of that, but now by your word and your spirit, help us to live and behold the beauty of Jesus being head of all things, all things in heaven and all things on earth. And help us to pray for the not yetness of our Christian life, the not yetness of your promises to us. When we meet you face to face, we are no longer separated from you in time and space. But in, a, in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no more Satan, no more sin, no more death, no more tear. Help us to keep praying for that. But in the meantime, empower us by your Spirit to live out the nowness of our faith, 
that we can be imitators of God by being imitators of Jesus in His love and put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. We pray for a deeper yieldedness and a more beautiful experience of your Holy Spirit's work in us. For you, we, we need your Spirit for wisdom and revelation. We need your Spirit for power against Satan and sin. We need your Spirit for unity and purity in our lives. We need your Spirit that our lives really, really be a life of prayerfulness, a life of spiritual battle overcoming. And so we pray that we will count ourselves in as your people, me too, with feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel to share our lives may not be perfect in progressive holiness, but we can go forth and love people unto your kingdom. Hear our prayers, O God, that you will always be glorified. Amen.